want you to find verse 36 and just kind of hold your finger there for a little bit. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse uh, 36. Have you noticed uh, how easily people get offended these days by other people's actions? You know, we, we need to realize, we need to remember that, that we do not have the right of, of non-offense. We don't have the right not to be offended. As a matter of fact, whether or not you get offended uh, is really your choice. You have to choose to be offended or not. Now, that being said, there are some things that you should be offended at. But the list is much shorter than what most people realize. Imagine you're watching TV. It's a really good show if there is such a thing. Then someone in your family comes along and takes the remote and starts switching channels on you. What do, you, what do you do? Hey, I was watching that. How dare you? And you get upset because you would never do such a thing to them, right? Yeah, yeah. But you would and you have. Um, that's just a little, a little example. Um, you know, everybody else is the bad driver. Everybody else is wrong. Everybody else is responsible for me being offended. Uh, Everyone else cheats and lies. Everyone else is at fault. Every, everyone else behaves badly. Everyone else has bad politics. And how easy it is to see the shortcomings of others and how hard it is to see those shortcomings in ourselves. We are always the hero in our own story. We are always the righteous. We're always the just. And everybody else is the villain. Well, Jesus found himself in exactly that situation. If you're in Luke chapter 7, I want you to find verse 36, and we're going to read down through the end of the chapter. It reads quickly. Um, it says in verse 36, And one of the Pharisees desired uh, him, that being Jesus, that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, uh, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man... Speaking of Jesus still, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering uh, said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50 and when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of these will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon. Now, now get the picture. Okay? He's, he's, he's looking at the woman, but he's still talking to the Pharisee in the house. Seest thou this woman? I entered into this house, entered into thine house. 
Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me uh, no kiss, but this woman uh, since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loveth much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said unto the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. I'm going to title this message, Grace and Gratitude. Grace and Gratitude. When you first read a passage like this, you might think, well, isn't it nice that Simon the Pharisee finally invited Jesus over for dinner, right? Finally, the Pharisees are behaving. But, but looks can be deceiving because this is still an example of Pharisees behaving badly. Now, that would make a great reality show, wouldn't it? This week on Pharisees behaving badly. I might even watch that. I don't know. You know, normally the host would uh, provide guests with a bowl of water to wash their feet. It was a very necessary custom in a culture where everybody walked along rocky, dusty roads with open sandals and no socks. Uh, Jesus walked all the time, so his feet would have definitely been dirty. Normally, when a guest entered a home, they would be greeted with a welcome kiss. It was a sign of respect. It was an expression of appreciation that the guest had accepted the invitation. There were rules. There were expectations of hospitality that needed to be followed. Often, but not always. Oil was put on the head of the guest. Uh, Israel, remember, is a, is a hot climate. And this is days before deodorant and soap and the ability to, to, to conveniently take a bath every day. The oil was not only a sign of welcome, but it was used to kind of tone down the body odor, especially when people were eating together in close quarters. Remember, there was no air conditioning then either. That is uh, what usually happens, but not when Jesus came to Simon's house. It was rude and disrespectful of Simon. It was meant to put Jesus in his place. It showed Simon thought that, that, that he was better than Jesus. It showed Simon's self-righteous and ungrateful attitude. It showed Simon's true heart. Jesus was there, but he was being kept at arm's length. He was a guest in Simon's house, but not really a guest. He was welcomed in, but not really welcomed. So here they are, having dinner. I'm guessing it isn't the most relaxed atmosphere. And all of a sudden, this, this, this woman appears, which, which seems strange. I mean, imagine having people over for dinner, and suddenly someone comes in off the street, and uh, they, they start to kiss and pour oil on the feet of one of your guests. Now, I mean, you'd have people come over to your house all the time just, just to watch that. Hey, let's, let's go to the Carter's house. Man, you get dinner and a show, you know. It's strange to us because we don't understand the culture, but it's not strange in Jesus' day. 
when someone in town was entertaining an, an, an out-of-town VIP, so to speak, then it would be common for others in the town to come inside and stand along the walls around the place they were eating and listen to and watch all that was going on. That was what they did for entertainment. That was their wall-mounted flat screen. Okay. So who's this woman? Well, verse 37 describes her as someone who had lived a sinful life in that town. It's a polite way of saying she was a prostitute. She made money selling herself to men. Now, don't have in your mind the prostitutes in the Hollywood movies, the ones that are able to, to blend into a crowd and are able to look respectable. I want you to replace that image uh, with a picture of a woman it was just caked on makeup, showy, gaudy jewelry, probably syphilitic sores, an unstable personality. And if she were alive today, that'd be the haunting fear of HIV. When people see her, that is what they have in mind which is a problem because the scriptures clearly say that she lived a sinful life. And it's also clear that she has come in contact with Jesus before this time. Somewhere along the way, she's been confronted by her lifestyle and she has sought repentance. She's acting this way because she knows she is forgiven. She knows how great her bondage to sin was. She knows, she knows those chains are gone now. She knows her sin was horrific, but she knows those sins are gone. Jesus sees her as she is. Everybody else sees her as she was. And they are offended. They choose to be offended. The women all knew her as the prostitute that used to tempt their husbands and their sons. All the men pretended they didn't know her. They knew her. And that's all anyone can see. Even though she's no longer that person. They can't forget, and they won't. They can't let her forget who she was, which helps us to understand the true embarrassment, the true scandal of this scene. See, the grace of God is scandalous. She's kissing Jesus' feet, pouring expensive perfume all over them. And, and, and don't picture her squashed up, up under a table, you know, where she can't really be seen. Um, they reclined on kind of lounges around a table. So everything that happened was very, very visible. And, 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 and what she is doing is being done in the, in the wide open, in plain sight, right in front of everyone. And she is weeping over the feet of Jesus and using her unbound hair to dry them. And unbound hair was horribly indecent. Having loose hair would be the cultural equivalent of walking into church topless. 
It was not done. It was improper. It was horribly inappropriate. And they are all embarrassed. And they're embarrassed for Jesus because they think he doesn't know what she was like. She's dressed nicely now, but she might look like a decent member of society now. But oh, just just look at her. Look at who she used to be. Look at what she's doing to Jesus. It is so indecent. And oh, that, that, that poor Jesus, he has, he has no idea. And Simon's thoughts through it all. If this man really was a prophet, then he would know who's touching him. That, that sinner. See, that's all anybody sees. And they choose to be offended. It was hard escaping your past, didn't it? If you drink to excess, then you're always known as an alcoholic. If your marriage breaks up, you're always known as a divorcee. If you lived with your girlfriend or boyfriend, then you're always known as somebody that lived in sin. If you experimented with substances, then you're always somebody who did drugs. And the list goes on and on. And so often, we are defined by what we were. And so often we were, we're put in a box because of what we did. And the people around us do that. But very often, if we're honest, we do that to ourselves. We won't let us forget who we used to be. We forget that Jesus has set us free. And we can't accept somehow how much Jesus has changed us. And we think that Jesus' transformation, that it didn't take all the way, or, or, or that it works for others, but, but somehow we're the exception. And how long we carry the guilt and the shame, and how long we allow others and accept that others define us that way. We find it difficult to escape our past. We, we, we won't let us, they won't let us escape it because in some sick way it helps them justify their own sin that hasn't yet been exposed. We've been told by folks, I mean, I mean we have been told by folks here, not to be friends with certain people because of their political views that if they came to our church, then that would stop the people with the favorable political views from coming. And when we do things like that, we do just what the Pharisees do. Because that's exactly what they did. They're not like us, so we don't want them. We, we do that. Jesus doesn't do that. As Jesus looks at his feet, he doesn't see a prostitute. He sees somebody that is holy. Somebody that is blameless now. He sees a new creation now. The old is gone and the new has come now. He sees, he sees a family member now, a child of God now. He sees her as she is now. And the tradition tells us, and if it's not true, then just chalk it up to an anecdotal parable of what Jesus has done for you. But tradition tells us that Abraham Lincoln went to a slave auction. He noticed a black woman who was being auctioned off. So he entered the bidding. 
The bidding went back and forth until he finally won. He paid the price. He purchased her. They brought her over to him, and he instructed them to take the shackles off the wrist and the ankles. And then he said to her, you are free to go. The woman looked at him and said, you mean I, I don't have to come home with you? And he says, no, no, you don't. She says, you mean that I don't have to do what you tell me to do or say what you tell me to say? He says, that's right. You mean I don't have to be your slave? I don't have to put up with your whims and your fancies? He says, no, you don't. I paid the price for you, so now I can and will set you free. At that, the woman bowed her head and tears coursing down her face. She looked up at him and said, well, then I guess I'll go with you. See, that's what grace does. It makes us act in gratitude. Grace makes us thankful. The woman at Jesus' feet, she knows how loved she is. She is overwhelmed by forgiveness, and she's overwhelmed by acceptance. From her position at Jesus' feet, she washed and dried them with her tears and her hair. And, 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 and some commentaries say that the tears were the water from her heart. And she is willing to do the most degrading, the most minimal task with joy. From her position at Jesus' feet, she constantly kisses them as a sign of respect for his love for her. From her position at Jesus' feet, she anoints them with this expensive perfume. Gratitude overflows from her heart. Gratitude creates extravagant giving. Gratitude creates extravagant sacrifice. Simon has no gratitude. Everyone's offended because they forget. They forget who they are. We have no gratitude because we forget what was done for us. Jesus reminds them with this little parable about the two men who owed the money to a certain money lender. Listen, now, there are two people in debt. One owes more, the other owes less but both of them cannot pay. Whether you owe a little or a lot, if you can't pay, you're stuck. If you can't pay, you are in trouble. Here the money lender is God. Everybody owes God. This is what you owe God. You owe God perfect holiness. All right? That's your debt to God. Perfect holiness. Nobody can pay God what they owe him. Now, there are some people who think they owe God only a little bit. They're, they're the religious. They're, you know, they, they, they work on being right. They work on serving. They're faithful. They think they don't owe God too much because everything that they have done, all the good that they've done, that they you know, think that that's eased their debt to God a little bit. Lots of people are like that. You ask them why they should go to heaven, why God should let them into heaven. They think, well, I've been good right? I've, I've paid some of my debt to God, right? Then there's the others. They're, they're rebellious. They don't care. Their life has been one disappointment after another. They're self-centered. They're money-hungry. They do 
drugs, they drink too much, they let down their family and their friends, they're just rebels, and they've caused all sorts of havoc, and they, they too, they owe God perfect holiness. We like to categorize people. We like to divide them and then subdivide them. Usually our category for ourselves is pretty good. We categorize everybody else as worse than me. You remember that we're, we're always the hero in our own story, right? Simon the Pharisee did it. He imagines that when he gets to heaven, God's going to come over to him and say, Hey, Simon, man, thanks for making my job so much easier. And Simon imagines he's going to get a medal that's going to read, I almost made it to heaven by myself without God's help. That's, that's, that's Simon's thinking. He's thinking he's so righteous that, 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 that he could really get to heaven all by himself. And that is sometimes how we think. Some people, Jesus just needs to give a little nudge to. Others, if they're going to get to heaven, Jesus has to use a crane, Right? But what we forget is, is, is one simple fact, is that everyone owes God perfect holiness and no one can pay that debt. And if you can't pay, no matter how big the amount is, uh, well, you're going to be stuck. Whether it's a lot or a little, we're all in the same situation. You owe God complete holiness, and you cannot pay your debt to God. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It, 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 it doesn't matter what you're like today. A debt is still a debt, and because of that, uh, there is only one exit. There's only one relief from this debt. And it is to trust in Jesus Christ because of his finished work of, 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 of paying off your debt. Remember on the cross he says, it is finished. That's an accounting term, paid in full. He paid the debt. If you were to pay the debt, eternity in the lake of fire. Jesus paid it for you. He extinguished death. He swallowed it up alive. And he burst forth from the tomb. He forever conquered death, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. We can't pay the debt, so Jesus does. Jesus, this prophet. See, there's the issue there, isn't it? Simon says, if, if he really was a prophet, he would have known who was touching him, that woman who's a sinner, that vile, I can't stand hers. And, and he's, if, if, if he really knew, he'd never let her touch him. See, there were questions about the ability of Jesus. See, we, we can't afford the doubt. We have no reason to doubt. See, Jesus was a prophet. And it's the job of all prophet, all prophets to, to, to warn God's people about the consequences of their sin. 
And Jesus did that, but he didn't just warn them about the consequences of the sin. He went to the cross to deal with the consequences of the sin, washing them in his precious blood, forever gone from God's sight, forever. Something else, it's the job of a prophet to remind people of God's laws, to remind people of God's commandments. And Jesus didn't just remind people of God's laws, he fulfilled the law for us. Throughout his earthly life, he remained completely, totally, absolutely obedient to his father. Something else prophets do is the job of a prophet to encourage God's people to turn back to God. Jesus doesn't just encourage us to turn back to God. He places us in God's family. Jesus doesn't just, just say, hey, you know, this is something you might want to think about. He's, he's not satisfied to leave us to our own devices on our own because if he did, we would stray from him. Rather, Jesus takes us by the hand and says, you are mine. You're coming with me. Now, what does this mean for us? We will never fully appreciate the grace that God has shown us until we remember what it cost for us to be forgiven. At Simon's dinner party, there were, there were two sorts of people, and there always seems to be two sorts of people. One, the woman who has taken her sin seriously. And then we have Simon the Pharisee, who's, who's too busy finding the sin in others that he can't see his own guilt. But remember, both of them have the same debt. It doesn't matter what your sin has been, you have a debt. And it cost the cross. doesn't matter if you've been promiscuous and, and your life is loaded with sexual guilt over people you've hurt. It doesn't matter if you've been upright and moral and pure and always tried to do your best. Your self-righteousness can't save you. You still have a debt, and it takes the cross to pay that. If you've been rebellious and you've walked the path of deceit and lies, you have a debt and it cost the cross. If you're a good person who is honest and generous and upstanding in your community, uh, your works cannot save you because you still have sinned against a holy God and you have a debt and it still costs the cross just the same. Do you, do you see this? Do you, do, do you understand this? When I have a debt, I can't afford to be offended by the debts of others. In the end, we, we, we are both in the same predicament, and, and, and Jesus has to save us. I mean, that is grace. Your, your sin's forgiven. The gift of faith, which saves you. Peace with God, no longer God's enemy, no longer the subject of God's just wrath, but you're at peace with God Almighty. 
Then should come gratitude, extravagant gratitude. Let that be the motive that drives your gratitude, your thankfulness to Jesus. Now let's make a decision. Who are you? Are you forgiven or are you still condemned? Are you humble or are you self-righteous? Do you see that you need Jesus or do you think you're still going to help God out by being good? Are you seeing your sin or do you find it more comfortable, more satisfying to focus on the sins of others? So what will it be? Is it going to be heaven or is it going to be hell? Is it going to be Jesus or is it going to be your sin? Are you like the woman or are you like Simon? Which really means is are you saved or are you already still condemned in your sin? These are questions nobody can ask, answer but, but, but you, between you and the Lord. So as the Holy Spirit reveals to you your need, as he reveals to you your condition, our prayer is that you will, if you need to, you fall at the feet of Jesus to be saved from your sin. Because that is your only hope of getting your debt paid. Would you stand with your head bowed and eyes closed? And as we always do with a message like this, we want to give you an opportunity to respond. Not to embarrass you, not, not to point fingers at you. But in a moment we're going to pray and then I'm going to ask uh, for a raise of hands. And we're going to close in prayer. So, Father, this morning we want to thank you for this account. And, Lord, we understand this is, this is not a parable. These are real people. But this woman, though we don't know her name, she had a name. She had a mother and a father. She had a family at one point. Her life went horribly wrong somewhere. We have Simon, this religious... Uh, upright in the community. Lord, he is self-righteous and, and, and unyielding and prideful. Although his life seems to have gone right in every respect. Unless something happened later in his life, uh, Simon is in hell right now and this woman is in your presence. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit, as he does, Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know Jesus as their Savior, if they are unsure of their spiritual condition, I pray that you would prompt them, that you would plead with them, that you would make them so horribly uncomfortable in their sin that they cannot but now fall at the feet of Jesus and beg to be saved. 
Father, those of us who know you, who have known you for a short time or a long time, Lord, how we don't want to focus on our past and dwell on the past. We do from time to time want to reflect on everything we have to be thankful for. For the sin that you saved us from. From the destruction, from the bondage that you have freed us from. Lord, we want to express our gratitude. We want to be thankful. So work in us, Father, to, uh, to the point that we appropriately express what you so richly deserve. And with your heads bowed still and eyes closed, we do not want to uh, embarrass anybody. If you say, Pastor, I know I'm, I'm not saved or I'm not sure, would you raise your hand up and down real quick? You say, Pastor, pray for me. Just hand up and hand down. Just pray for me because I'm not sure. Okay, for the rest of us. Say, Pastor, I've not been as uh, thankful to God as I should have been. I do not express my gratitude to the Lord the way I should. But I want to and I want the Lord's help. Would you pray for me? Put your hand up and down, just, just real quick, up and down. Right. Father, you've seen the hands. You know the hearts. We are completely exposed before you. And we thank you that we can be vulnerable before you. Lord, for each hand, for each heart, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work, whether it is for the salvation or where is, or is that we just become a more thankful people. Please do that work in us that only you can do, and may we be submissive to you. And may we express our gratitude for your unending, undying love that freed us from our sin. We do indeed pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, would you come ahead?